Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, uh, as you're flipping there, uh, I just want to ask this question. How many people know in life it's better when you get it right the first time? Anybody just think of a moment in your life where you're like, ooh, I wish I would have gotten that right the first time. For me, uh, interesting that they were painting in that video because if you come to my house and you look at my walls, I've got a great palette of one color of gray throughout my whole entire house. And it took us maybe 13 tries to find that perfect gray. It's Revere Pewter, in case you were wondering. Of course, it's on your walls too. Uh, but if you come to my house and you, you look at some of the things that we've, my wife and I have done and tried to fix up, um, it's, it, we, we do the trial and error method. You know, just try it out. And all of my errors are the source of all my trials in life. And uh, how many of you know that to do it right the first time takes incredible skill and tre- tremendous uh, character and tremendous ability? And some of us, if we would open up the walls of your house and see the things that you've tried to fix in your plumbing systems, we would go, don't quit your day job. We love having things right the first time. We love the idea of getting it right the first time. I remember as a little kid, do you remember Bo Jackson? Some of you guys remember Bo Jackson? He was a football player. Dude, was amazing. I remember his first, watch, I was watching this moment as a little kid. I could not have been more than like that high. Uh, watching him step up to the plate, his first Major League Baseball appearance. Bo Jackson, legendary football player, trying to become a baseball player, steps up to the plate and cranks a fastball straight out over the center field wall at Kauffman Stadium. And, and, and his first at-bat as a Major League player, get, gets it right, hits a home run the first time. I love the story of uh, David and Goliath because David takes five stones with him to fight the giant, but he only has to sling it one time before he hits his mark. When it comes to the Christian faith, one of the points of emphasis that ought to encourage us deeply is the fact that in God's creation of the world, his plan of redemption and salvation, it just took one. It just took one. Maybe I could say it this way, that our God is not a do-over God who makes a mess of things before he makes it right. No, rather, he's perfect. If you look at the works of our God in creation and See, time and time again, his assessment that it all is good. Day, night, good. Water, land, good. Sky, earth, good. All the way down to the plants and the insects, and it's good. Man and woman, he said, I did it right the first time. And we might be tempted to think that our ancestors' sin in the Garden of Eden, must have thrown off God's good plan for the world completely. But surely this type of thinking comes from an exaggerated sense of our own pride and our own power to think that we might be able to thwart the plans of an all-powerful God. There's not a chance. For immediately in that moment, as God deals with sin, he promises the good news that he would restore all things to himself, that even in the midst of us moving from his will, he is still in control and his perfect plan to give himself glory is still intact. And you see, everything that God does is perfect. Everybody just say perfect. Because everything that God is, is perfect. Which means whatever he makes, God makes it right the first time. It's perfect, just like he wants it. This is the characteristic of God that reminds me of that classic quote in Lord of the Rings when Gandalf suddenly appears and he shows himself to the hobbit and he says, 
A wizard is never late nor early, but instead he arrives precisely when he means to. And this is fictionally true of wizards, but it's factually true of our God, that everything he does, everything he is, nothing is out of line with what he wants. He is the God of one take. With him, it takes just one try. You have before you Hebrews 13, 8, which is a short but very powerful verse in the New Testament that describes the perfection of our God, particularly that of Jesus Christ. And I want to read it today with you as we are in All About Him Sunday. We're celebrating the reality of of Christ and and his, his unchanging nature. Look at what this verse says. Read it with me. Maybe we could read this aloud together. It's short. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's read that one more time. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same, unchanging, never change. Literally, this verse, if you were to take it from its original language and translate it literally, it would say, Jesus Christ himself, yesterday, today, and into eternity. The idea is that he's, he's always been himself. He's always been this way. He's never changed. He's always been consistent. He's, he, he's never deviated once. Yesterday and today and tomorrow, he's been consistent. And um, if, you were, if you were to uh, say, you know, over some coffee with your girlfriends, man, my husband, he never changes. Well, that'd be probably a, a bad thing, wouldn't it? And some of you men, you, you kind of know, like, <sighs> when I got married, guys told me, you know what, Dan? You're going to have to actually put the toothpaste cap on the toothpaste. And you actually have to put that seat. It, it functions. You know that, right? It, it goes down at night. And uh, there's a place for dirty clothes. Who knew that? And imagine a world with unchanging husbands and how hellacious that might be, ladies, right? I mean, if, if maybe uh, before you got married to the guy that you married, you... Uh, we're sitting down, and someone from the future came to you and said, You're, this man, he never changes. That probably would invoke in you some sort of fear. You probably wouldn't have gotten married to the guy. You probably would have left him for some old, other meldable man who you could form in the image that you'd like. You see, to change as a human is an admirable quality. To teach an old dog new tricks is good. The other problem that we have with this concept of God's perfection and him never changing as humans, first and foremost, is that uh, we want to change. And the second thing is that we don't actually have a category of true perfection. Like you and I can't observe what it means to actually see something perfect. Maybe the, the, the easiest illustration I have of this is during the Olympics, you watched swimming maybe. Did you watch swimming? In swimming, there's the best thing that ever happened to Olympic swimming was that world record yellow line because it would go out at the pace of the world record and you'd see all these swimmers just like chasing it down and for that yellow line symbolizes perfection, the fastest that anyone has ever run this race. And if it wasn't for that yellow line, me as a total hack swimming enthusiast would be watching going, Are they, is this fast? I don't know if this is fast. Is this fast? Oh, well, he's in front of the line. This is really fast. And the, the, the lady hits her hand on the wall, and the yellow line is behind her, and it's a new world record. It's perfect. Well, it's only perfect for a while. It's temporarily perfect. It's not going to be perfect forever. Case in point, the first perfect 10 score ever recorded in uh, Olympic histories was from a, a Romanian named Nadia Komeninski. And in 1976, she uh, got perfect 10 performances in gymnastics. But if you were to 
watch her performances today. These were all over uh, the TV recently. If you watch them today and you compare them with Simone Biles and you go, Perfect 10 back in the 70s wouldn't even medal today. Sure, her routines are good, but gymnastics seems to have gotten better. And, and, and this is our world. This is our reality that we are constantly on this progressive quest for improvement and perfection. And so for you and I to approach this verse that says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, not only do we not relate to it, but we also don't understand what perfection looks like because it's always being redefined and re-evaluated. For humans, changing and growing is a great virtue. But I wonder if you've ever realized that to change for God would be a great blasphemy. He never does To change would be betrayal of his own character to our detriment. Scripture celebrates this unchanging nature of God time and time again. A couple verses, Malachi 3, 6, God says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. James 1, 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation, or shadow due to change. The recent theologian A.W. Pink says it, I think, really brilliantly. He says, he cannot change for the better because he is already perfect. And being perfect, he cannot change for the worse. So this morning, as we consider the unchanging nature of Jesus, our focus should not be on the strangeness of his consistency. Instead, I hope that you would Uh, Be comforted by the reality that in this ever-shifting, ever-swirling, ever-changing world that we live in, that we have an anchor for our hope that does not move. I hope that today you're comforted by the reality of the fact that Jesus' unchangeable character is applied to the very lives that we live, yesterday, today, and forever. And so I want to ask just three basic questions. If Jesus never changes, why is it comforting for us to trust in this Jesus of yesterday, this Jesus of today, and this Jesus of tomorrow? What is it? Who who is it? Who is the Jesus of yesterday? Well, a very basic way to get to the bottom of who somebody is is to talk to the people who knew him best and to to, uh, uh, ask biographical questions of people who might have been the best friends of this person. I know. Many of us have been at funerals recently, and we've uh, shared memories of, of our loved ones who have been lost, and um, relatives and best friends are there sharing stories about how this person was yesterday. And for us, friends, we have Jesus' best friend, John, the disciple. He took time to pen down some words about Jesus, the Jesus that he knew so well, and Jesus uh, in, his, in John's gospel, it says that he wrote his gospel so that we might know that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we might have life in his name. And in fact, at the end of John's gospel, John even says that if you wanted to know everything that Jesus did yesterday, there's so many things that he did, that if every single one of them was to be written down in a book, the, the world would not be big enough to hold all the volumes that would be written. I think someone should have tipped off John to buy stock in Amazon. But nonetheless, uh, his point is well taken. No matter how clearly I try to define for you the work of Jesus yesterday, my attempt is going to be incomplete. But let's have at it. Who is Jesus yesterday? Here's, here's one lengthy definition that I would propose as a starting place. Say, Jesus Christ 
exists eternally as the Son of God. He was active in the work of creation. He came in humility as a baby boy. He came to the world that he loved. He lived an exemplary life of love, mercy, obedience, and power. He died to save sinners. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead, making possible eternal life for those who believe. I don't know if there's anyone here who's considers themselves to be an atheist, but I've probably been okay in your book up until I said that Jesus Christ died for sinners. He was buried, and then he rose again from the dead on the third day. Paul reminds us of this, though, in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. He says this, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The atheist looks at Jesus' life and they say, no, 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 no. No, see, death is the end. It's almost everything here is, is okay until you say that Jesus came back for, to life. You can't scientifically prove that anyone could rise from the dead. It's against our nature. What nonsense. And yet the reality of Jesus' resurrection is not the fact that the Bible tells us so. This is Paul's point. The amazing fact of the resurrection is the fact that so many people witnessed this event. Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15, he says very, very clearly, he says, I'm passing on to you what was passed on to me from people who actually saw him alive. The scripture said that Christ would be killed, and he was. We all saw this public execution. The scriptures, they said that, that Jesus was going to be buried, and he was. Do you remember Joseph of Arimathea and how he borrowed that tomb, just like the Scripture said he would? And then the Scripture said that he would be raised, and he was. Remember the women who went to the tomb, and remember we saw him, and we ate with him, and we watched him ascend into heaven. It sounds crazy, but it happened. It happened, and we remember it just like it was yesterday. This is the work of Jesus, that he exists eternally as the Son of God, was active in the work of creation, came in humility as a baby boy to save the world he loved, lived an exemplary life of love, mercy, obedience, and power, died to save sinners, was buried, and on the third day he rose again from the dead, making possible eternal life for those who believe in him. And clearly we see the wonder and the majesty of what Jesus has accomplished yesterday. Who is Jesus yesterday? He's our Redeemer. For all of humanity, all of us in this place, who is Jesus yesterday? He is the one who has redeemed our lives. He is the miraculous gift of God to a humanity that is in need, marked by all those issues that were on the board in that video, marked by a world that had chosen to sever ourselves from the blessings of the Father. Jesus is the one who gave himself up as a sacrifice for many to know and to come to God. He's the door to the Father. He's the way to truth in life. He's the only hope we have because he is our redeemer. He's, he's the one who's making the path for us. And friends, here's the comforting thing about our past. And I don't know what your past entails. I don't know the struggle that you've had, but we have a promise because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. That Jesus has done everything necessary for us to have forgiveness for our sins and enjoy life the way we were made to live. 
that his life and his death and his resurrection were so perfectly accomplished that nothing else has to be added to, to them for us to have new life. It just took one life. It just took one death. It just took one resurrection for him to overcome our one enemy, which is sin and death itself. And yesterday he accomplished this. And since he never changes, our redemption never changes. And so praise the Lord, you don't have to be changed or saved in a new way in the future. That you can bank on the fact that whenever you place your faith in Jesus, it is effective for your soul's salvation. And when our lives are all about him, we see that his redemption is enough for us to have all of our sinful yesterdays redeemed. And if you embrace this Jesus of yesterday, it radically changes your view of today. Which leads us to the second question. Who is Jesus today? I want to turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Paul records for us, he says, Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. That's Jesus of yesterday. And then he says, but here's Jesus today, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding. That's in the present tense for us. To intercede, it literally means just to stand between two things and to be an advocate for one. Uh, it's like when you're growing up and you're having a hangout day at one of your friend's houses and the idea for a sleepover came up and you'd be like, dude, ask your mom if you can stay over. So if you're like me, you go to the phone, you dial up the number, you memorized it back then and uh, you talk to your mom and say, mom, Johnny wants me to hang out. Can I stay over tonight? And your mom would always go, I don't know, it's getting late, you got stuff tomorrow, I got things to do. And I'd say, no, mom, it's okay. Well, if you talk to Johnny's mom, yeah, Johnny's mom says it's fine. And then invariably in this process, you'd say, Johnny's mom, come here. And you'd hand the phone over and she would intercede for you. She would, she'd say, hi, Mrs. Jacobson. Yes, it's okay. I would love to host Dan. He's always a polite kid. He never breaks anything. It's great. I'd be more than happy to do that. And this is what it looks like to intercede. It's to stand in between for the sake of another. This is what the priests would do in the Old Testament. They would represent the people to God. They would stand in between the people and God and try and act as an advocate in front of God. Today, Hebrews says that Jesus is our great high priest. This is an office that he holds. Why was he great of all the priests? What made Jesus great? Well, because in the Old Testament, the priests were the ones in the temple who would take the sacrifices for sins and lay them on the altar and present them before the Lord. Day after day, the priests would be busy in the temple offering sacrifices and one after another after another, praying on behalf of the people, making atonement for sins through the shedding of the blood of bulls and goats and sheep. These sacrifices had to be offered daily because people are not prone to perfection. We're constantly messing up, and to maintain God's holy standard required a sacrifice for our sins. And yet, because Jesus is our Redeemer, because he is that sacrifice, Hebrews 10, it shows us that Jesus is a better high priest. This is verses 11 through 14. Look at this with me. It says, And every, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ is offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
And Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice. You've got to say it with me. It just takes one. It just takes one. One single perfect sacrifice for sin to remove our guilt and shame and to present those who believe in him as the Father, or to the Father eternally saved. And so what is Jesus doing today? Who is Jesus today? He is sitting. He is our priest who is sitting in the throne room above. Why? Because the work has been done. I don't know if you do this. I do this generally on Saturdays. If I'm working around my house, yesterday I mowed the yard and um, worked up a sweat. And I came inside, grabbed a little thing of lemonade, and I went and I sat down. And it's that sitting, right? That like a sense of accomplishment. The sense of like, I am the king of my domain. And in some small, less glorious way, you do the same thing. After a long day of work, after the kids have been put to bed, you successfully kept them alive today, ladies, you go sit, right? And you enjoy the fact that the work is done. But for us, we all sit for now. Because the alarm clock rings the next day, the next morning comes, the next shift arrives, and we have to get up. There's more work for us to be done. But Jesus is up in heaven sitting. Why? Because eternally, his work, eternally it is over. One sacrifice for all times, for all people, eternally accomplished. And so he can sit in heaven where he intercedes for us, where he acts as a priest for us. I wonder if, actually I don't wonder, I really think that up in heaven, the scars on his hands and on his feet and on his side are being represented to the Father on a consistent basis as Jesus makes his plead for his people saying, Father, I love them. Father, I died for them. Father, I gave my life for them. Father, this was the plan for them to know you through me. Daily, Jesus is interceding for us on our behalf, saying, I want the best for them. And I don't know if you're raised in a Catholic church. To pray or have access to God, you might have been told that you need to go to an earthly priest, someone who might wear a collar or have an office or be theologically trained. Friends, to get to God, it just takes one. One priest. The great high priest, the true priest, who is in heaven above, who has direct access to God. You need the one true priest who is at the right hand of the Father, mediating, going between us and God as our advocate. And Jesus Christ today is our advocate. Today he's our representative. We talk about having a friend in high places. I wonder if you remember that story of Jesus as he's dying on the cross and the two thieves are kind of next to him and one thief looks at Jesus as he's completing the work of redemption on the cross. He's in the act of dying, making sacrifice for our sins. And the thief looks at Jesus and he looks at the other thief and he says, surely, surely that this man has done nothing wrong. And then he looks at Jesus and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I wonder if you recall the precious words of Jesus in those last hours as he was completing that work. He looks at the thief and he says, Truly, I say to you, today, today you will be with me in paradise. And this is what it looks like for us today as Jesus mediates for us the way to God. He is our go-between. And listen, the same Jesus who is 
dying for our sins and was representing this criminal on the cross, this same Jesus still mediates a way to God for us today. This is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has made a way, and because he got it right the first time, it only took one sacrifice. And today he is calling out to all of us from his throne and his kingdom and saying, come believe in me, follow me. And this leads us to our last question, who is Jesus forever? I don't know if you've ever considered how devastating it would be if Jesus was not the same. If Jesus changed, if at some point in the future, Jesus' mind could be altered to think, you know what, I really don't like the world. I really wish I wouldn't have saved them. I really wish that this wasn't the plan. I actually, I like it by myself, so let them be by themselves. How devastating to our hope that would be. How devastating to our lives that would be. How devastating to our futures that would be. But because Jesus never changes. Yesterday, he's the same as today. He's the same, and he will be the same tomorrow. So he is forever the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Prince of Priests, the Great High Priest, the forever Lord. And I want you to take note of this, that he is king over all. Who is Jesus forever? He is the king. You just look at the person next to you and just say, Jesus is forever the king. Forever. Luke 133, it was prophesied of him that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Hebrews 1.8 declares of the Son, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. In Revelation, the scene unfolds with apocalyptic beauty as all of heaven praises the King of Kings. Look at Revelation 4.9 with me. It says, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, Lord, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Numerous times in the New Testament, the authors are so moved to declare the glory of the King Jesus that they write time and time again, to the King of the ages, immortal and visible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He who is the blessed, the only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests, his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus Christ is our forever king. And so friends, listen, for Jesus to be the same yesterday as he is today and will be forever is not just some sort of theological construct, some sort of idea, something that I just want to put before you with a lot of scripture to help you see how this works out. No, no. For Jesus Christ to be the same yesterday and today and forever is not a, it's not a creed. It is a battle cry. It is the cry of our hearts that say, Jesus Christ is the same. And so I have hope. Jesus Christ never changes. Though I change, I know I can trust in him. Jesus Christ will always be the same, and so my future is secured. We as a church, we raise this up high because amid all the changing turmoil in the world, one thing never changes. It's that Jesus is our king. 
Not one of us knows how things will turn out in America in November. But it doesn't matter. I've already got my king. His name is Jesus, and he never changes. No matter how many times our political leaders change their positions on things over the course of history, no matter how many times the, the, the ethics in our world might change, no matter how many times situations in your world might change, no matter how many times your health condition might change, we know that for our souls, Jesus never changes. It's a battle cry. It says, perfect, unchanging, not wavering in his decisions, not fickle in his judgments. His work is done and it stands forever. He just needed one, one life, one death, one resurrection, one name, one church, one destiny with one goal, which is his glory alone. And in these few very brief moments where I've tried just to show you on the surface level the glory and beauty of our Savior Jesus, I hope you see how unlike us he truly is. Yes, he's able to sympathize with us in our weakness, but he is strong where we are weak. And yes, he walked here on earth, but he's also now reigning in heaven. And yes, he was tempted just like we are, but he lived the perfect life. And yes, he grew in knowledge and stature as a boy to a man. But he has always been and always will be our constant, consistent, faithful God in whom there is no shadow of change. I don't know, if, if you've um, ever listened to me preach for one or two sermons, you know that typically I've got one formula that I stick to. We all have a problem, all of us. God's word says something about this problem. And Jesus is the solution to this problem. But today we have exactly the opposite formula. Today I want to bring you today to see how beautiful Jesus is. And in doing so, hopefully I'll let you see how completely and desperately in need of Jesus you are. Because not one of us here is consistent. Not one of us here is eternal. Not one of us here is, is perfect forever. Not one of us here will be the same today as we were yesterday. Not one of us here will be the same tomorrow as we are today. I mean, you and I, we are a pathetic attempt at perfection. We are all measuring our time, our yesterdays, our todays, and our tomorrows with variable degrees of success, all of which fall short. And so, friends, here is the big idea. When we look at the amazing Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we see that he is the one unchanging one. I want you to know this. I want you to be encouraged by this, is that when you encounter the unchanging one, you can be forever changed. When you encounter this Jesus in your life, it changes you in a way that you could never change yourself. When you place your trust in the one who is never changing, everything about you that has been built upon the shifting sands of uncertainty is suddenly changed and secured for eternity. We can trust in Jesus because he has the keys to eternal life. Though the winds of change blow through our land, the house that is built on the solid rock will not crumble. And through many dangers, toils, and snares, though disaster may strike and attempt to wrench you from the hand of God, Christ is so eternally the same and so powerful to hold you close, so powerful to lead you to your eternal home, that nothing can separate you from his love. When you encounter Jesus, it so thoroughly changes you 
that your eternal destination is radically changed. And friend, this, this is good news for all of us. Because the way we try to induce some measure of change is always temporary. But Jesus changes us from the inside out. This is good news for the man who has struggled in his marriage to be what he knows he ought to be, yet somehow he cannot attain it. No matter how hard he tries to change his behavior, he cannot help but make a mess of things and run his relationships into the ground. He thinks there's no hope for him. Divorce is his only destiny. He's a failure. He'll never get his act together. But once Jesus says to him, Come, accept my forgiveness. I made it available to you yesterday, and you can live in that freedom today, and you can have everlasting life forever, and I can forever change you. At once that man can hear the sweet, unchanging words of the faithful God and have his soul and mind and spirit and heart forever be melded into all that he was made to be. This is good news for the woman who is caught in a constant state of despair who feels unlovely and as if she is never enough. She's always battling her insecurities, always trying to change her image, always trying to change her circumstances, yet nothing fills her emptiness. And at once, Jesus says to her, see my sacrifice I made for you yesterday. See the freedom I purchased for you as your redeemer. There is joy forever right now at my right hand. Lay down your failed expectations of this world and buy from me and follow me. This is good news for the brokenhearted. This is good news for the young and old. This is good news for the rich whose possessions are becoming a burden. This is good news for the sick and the dying. This is good news for the intelligent. This is good news for the simple-minded. This is good news for us all. For Christ is better than any of the passing trends in this world. He's never had to reinvent himself. He will always be the same yesterday, today, and forever. Friends, it just took one. And as such, what he did perfectly, will never let you down. So as I close, I, I want to invite you not to go another day of your life setting your, your hope on temporary changes of improvement. When the perfect, unchanging God wants to change your life forever. I wonder if you're here this weekend and your life has been unsettled and uncertain and you find yourself waking up in the morning lacking Hope, you're crushed by your guilt. You're carrying your sin from relationship to relationship one day to the next day. I want you to know that Jesus needs only one take with you. Your life can be forever changed. Not temporarily changed, but forever changed. If you're willing to see the beauty of his one life, his one death, his one resurrection, and claim him to be the one king of your life. I want to invite us all here to just close your eyes and bow.